All right. Well, good morning, everybody. And this is a this is going to be um, a slightly different topic for a sermon, but it's something I've been thinking about for I don't know, better part of a month at least, and, and researching and studying, and just feel more and more that it's I, I think it's something I'm, I'm, that I think is going to be worth sharing. But it's it's a little different. It's, um, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on this one before. I'm going to title this Ishmael and, and Isaac, and I'm taking a slightly different angle than normal, I, I think. And just starting off, we're never going to come to complete answers on some of these things. Um, I just want to, things are, are really complex when it comes to those two families in Scripture. But recent events have really sparked my interest. I don't know if y'all have been following the news around Israel right now, but with the new embassy they're wanting to open in Jerusalem, the American embassy there. Um, has caused a lot of riots and upheaval, a lot of conflicts, a lot of people have been killed, riots, things like that. And it's just made me think, you know, out of this chaos of war, this fighting for what is ours, you know, both sides say that, that it's ours, you know, we, we, it belongs to us, and, and of course they're fighting over that. How do we come to grips with all of these things? And specifically, I wanted to address what comes to our minds when we think of the word Arab or Palestinian, and especially things like the Jerusalem question. Um, and then it, it start going a little deeper than that, because what happens when there's Christians on both sides? Then it really starts getting complicated. And how can there be reconciliation among people who are at war with each other? So we're going to have to go back to the beginning. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to cover a lot of territory this morning. I will try to respect your time and not go too long or have anybody fall asleep on me, but we're going to get a little tedious with our Bible study here. I hope you don't mind. Abraham has often been called Abraham the Tested. Abraham went through a lot of tests in this, in this part of Scripture, particularly he, you know, unable to have children, um, he had the whole situation with Lot and having a very divided family. Um, he had to, well, thought he had to sacrifice Isaac. Um, and he also had to spend the rest of his life after God called him living as a desert nomad. That's not very fun, honestly. I, I mean, a desert nomad is a very difficult life. And he had to spend the rest of his life doing that. So let's start with the covenant that God had with Abram at this point in Scripture, but later Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 2. And this is where God calls him out of his country, and then he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pretty basic at this point. He's just saying, I'll make you into a great nation. And that's about it. Now, at this point, the only heir that would have existed for Abraham would have been Eliezer. He didn't have any children at this point. And then in chapter 15, we're going to skip a few parts here because there's a lot to do with um, Lot and some of his decisions. Chapter 15, starting in verse 4, um, God comes to Abram in a vision. And God says, starting in verse 1 here, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But then Abram responds, O Lord God, what shall you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer. Now, it's interesting because just the chapters previous, you had the situation with Lot and that family division. Because Lot could have potentially, in that culture, had part of the inheritance. Well, that option is now no longer there. Eliezer is the only one left. 
And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he, you know, they had this famous section where God takes him outside, sees the stars in the heavens, and that's what your descendants will be like. But again, at this point, it's still, it's still fairly ambiguous. We don't have a lot of details, and a lot of time is passing between these events. And it just, I have a feeling that maybe Abraham has a little bit of fatigue going on. It's just like, okay, like, is this going to happen? Is this not? What's going on? And it's got to get hard after years and years of wandering in the desert. It really starts to break you down. Now, chapter 16 is where things start getting really interesting. This is immediately, now we don't know how much time passed, but this is right after God gives these promises and makes this covenant with Abraham, a very solemn vow um, involving sacrifice in the previous chapter, which we're not going to go into details there. But um, Now chapter 16, and we're going to read a good section of this here. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that I may obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. So then, okay, so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And out of this you have Ishmael starts coming into the picture. But now it's interesting, verse 5, Sarai says, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then Abram has a very interesting response. He says, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so Sarah treats Hagar very harshly. And then ends up, Hagar flees. Apparently, it must have been pretty harsh. Now, I think, yeah, this gets really interesting. Like, what, what just happened here? Um, yeah, and then, so Hagar goes into the desert, and, and we're going to come back and hit some of this again, but we're going to stick more on right now, the covenant. So it's like you, you kind of had this side story start happening, and then we're just not really sure where that's going. And then chapter 17 comes along, and God reaffirms the covenant again. So it's, it, the whole time, if we had never read this story before and we were reading it for the first time, we would be in suspense right now. Like, who's going to be the heir for Abraham? Like, you've got his servant and you've got Lot. Well, now Lot's out of the picture. Well, now, now you have this Ishmael, and, but yet God's coming along and still reaffirming. The, like, what's going on? It's, it's, it gets complicated. Well, immediately following that, chapter 17, verse 4 God visits Abraham again, or Abram. Behold, my covenant is with you. This is verse 4. Is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. There's a slight change. This is the first time that it says nations, plural. Well, that's interesting. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, plural. That's interesting. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between you, between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. So this is 
pretty big deal. Everlasting is strong language. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And this is... This is interesting because chapter 17 is after Ishmael has been born. And where apparently a fair amount of time has happened because as we keep going down, God starts talking about circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant. This is the first time it occurs in scripture. And then when we get down to verse 16, there's another change in the promises. And he said, okay, so he changes in verse 15 changes her name to Sarah because I will bless her okay and then number and then verse 16 this is where it gets really interesting I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her I will bless her and she shall become nations kings of people shall come from her now that's the very first time in scripture that God actually says your son will come from Sarah I wasn't in the previous chapters it's like as God keeps showing up with Abraham, he keeps adding more details to the covenant. And it's almost like, like at first, Abraham didn't really know a lot of the details until, you know, at, until as time goes on. So, note, note Abraham's response. Oh, wait, okay, no, actually, okay, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, okay, this is the first time that Isaac is mentioned. Isaac's name is given in here. Um, and at first, Abraham thinks this is ridiculous. Like, this just doesn't even make sense. Um, and then it just, you know, story keeps going on. We get into verse, or chapter 18, same thing. Um, God clearly reaffirms the covenant again in verse 19. For I have chosen him, and he, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised him. This is, this is re- talking about Abraham. Um, and then chapter 21, it gets even more interesting because now you have the promised child has come, Isaac has come. But what about Ishmael? Because Ishmael is still in the picture here. So now all of a sudden Isaac comes. Who's the heir? of everything. Who's going to inherit all of this? And this is where it gets kind of sad. After Isaac is born, um, at this point, Ishmael would have been about 17 years old, and they're sent away. Now, it's interesting because it's Sarah's idea. She says to Abraham, this is in verse 10 of chapter 21, She says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But then God says, no, it's okay for this to happen. And now Ishmael is out of the picture because they've been sent away, Hagar and Ishmael. And now we're only left with Isaac as the only heir to Abraham. We had to go through all of that just to get the covenant established. And finally we have, okay, we've got a clear line of sight where this thing is going. But is that all there is to this story? Obviously we went over it pretty quick, but what, that, what just happened? Like that, that's a lot of things that happened there and it's really messy, if I can use those words. Like it's not like it just fell into place. There's a lot of 
pain and suffering and um, a lot of envy and jealousy going on here. How is this a good beginning? So who is Ishmael? Where does this, where does all this fit? So we're going to go right back through those passages we just hit, but we're going to address this question of who is Ishmael? Where does he fit into all of this? And hopefully through all of this, we can get a better picture of what's actually going on here because oftentimes the house of Ishmael in scripture is completely overlooked. Many times people call it cursed or they don't have a role at all in scripture or it's just, it was a big mistake, it should have never happened. But let's go back and hit some of these with, with some more details. So let's go back to chapter 15 where the covenant is established. So it's very clear, again, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, like God's establishing this covenant. Um, and Abraham believes him. But again, you have this problem, they can't have children. So what do they do? Well, it's Sarah's idea to bring Hagar into the marriage. Now, it's really important to understand the context here. So in, verse, or in chapter 16 is where this all starts happening. Okay. Let's see if I can find the verse. Okay, so verse 3. Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham, but notice the wording, as a wife, like as Abraham's wife. She was a legitimate wife of Abraham. Now, polygamy is wrong, but in that culture, having more than one wife, that's pretty normal. Think like Isaac with Leah and Rachel. You know, you have multiple wives, and that's just kind of how they did things. It's interesting because they still do this in the Middle East today, especially if the one wife... Um, can't have children, they'll just marry another wife. You know, problem solved, right? But it's interesting because this, in this case, this is one of the only cases where Abraham doesn't ask God first. He's like, oh, yeah, this seems like a good idea. I'll just marry another wife and we'll be good to go. Like, okay. So they do and has a son and yeah, that's, that's great. Well, guess what happens though when you have two wives? One can't have children, the other one can. In that culture, a lot of jealousy, a lot of strife. It's exactly what happened with Leah and Rachel. We've seen this before in scripture. So Sarah gets pretty upset and ends up forcing her to flee. Jealousy has plagued this family for generations. You have Jacob and Esau, Sarah and Hagar, Leah and Rachel, etc. It's no surprise that Sarah forced Hagar to leave. And this is where things get, yeah, very, uh, very interesting. So let's start, let's just read a section here of chapter 16. Okay, so after Hagar has been sent away, we're starting in verse 7. Chapter 16, the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness. I'm just going to probably skim through some of this because it's a lot here. Um, she said, where, where have you come from and where are you going, says the angel. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, uh, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, uh, this is what she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God seen, of, of seen. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And then skipping down to verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. 
You have to wonder what's going through Hagar's mind at this point in the story. She's like, what did I do wrong? Like, why? Like, why am I being sent away? Why am I going into the desert? What is happening? And then imagine all of that turmoil going on inside your head. And all of a sudden, bolt of lightning, boom, here's the angel of the Lord. Oh, whoa, wow, like, there's something really big is happening here. That's got to be a huge shock. And it's interesting because she says, Hagar, when she says, she literally says she saw God. Like, that's what she thinks actually happened here. Though scripture says angel of the Lord, Hagar says it was literally God. And some people say, well, actually, most likely, and this is fairly common theory, it was actually Jesus. Potentially the first time in scripture that Jesus actually shows up, a pre-incarnate Christ. And then she said, like, and she says the name, you are a God of seeing, or you are a God who sees me, is what Hagar said. You know, God saw her in that affliction and came to her. Very, very powerful beginning for Ishmael. Ishmael's got it pretty good. I mean, how many of you can say your kids had that kind of welcome before they were born? I mean, yeah, I mean, the angel of the Lord showed up, potentially Jesus Christ, and said, you know, hey, this, this, no, it's okay. Like, we, we hear you. Like, God hears you. We are watching out for you. That's a pretty powerful beginning. That's really amazing, actually. And we often kind of skip over that part and miss that extra blessing that Hagar had. It's interesting because the name Ishmael means God hears. And it's in the context of God hearing Hagar's affliction, which is a pretty common theme in scripture, actually, where you have, you know, the later times when you have different times where the children of Israel are in affliction and God hears them. This is a very common thing. And so some of these prophecies can be a little confusing, especially when it talks about um, in verse 12, chapter 16, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. Some people take that as a very offensive thing, but actually that just refers to an untamable beast, like the wild donkeys of the desert. They're very free and independent and untamable. Um, And it was interesting because then Ishmael ends up, the Ishmaelites become a Bedouin people. And it's interesting because the Arabs and the descendants of Ishmael have always been free and have never been enslaved or, or taken over by another nation in history. It's very interesting. And that's one prophecy that we've seen has become very true. And again, we're just going to hit, then moving on to, to chapter 17 then. So they come back, Ishmael is born, and this is in the context of chapter 17 where God reaffirms the covenant. And then this is the point where God says, you'll be a multitude of nations, plural, and then does, and then gives the covenant of circumcision. Now, it's interesting. God gives a blessing and a promise to Ishmael as well. Now, we're all familiar with the covenant of Abraham, but what about the covenant of Ishmael? Chapter 17, verse 20. Then, okay, so starting back earlier where where God says, Sarah is going to have a son. Abraham's response is, is really interesting in verse 18. And God and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Like, it's got to probably come as a shock, actually, to Abraham. It's like curveball. Like, where did this come from? I, I already have a son. I'm, we're getting old. He's probably pretty confused at this point. He's like, but what about Ishmael? Like, 
Isn't he? And, and then note God's response. It's, it's really interesting. Verse 19, God says, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. It's pretty clear God's covenant is going through the line of, of Isaac. I will make a covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. But then God follows it up immediately. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Interesting. There's a blessing and a covenant for Ishmael too. And we're all familiar with the one for Isaac, but we just kind of just glaze over that part about the one for Ishmael. Well, he was just kind of a mistake and it, and it shouldn't have happened. And God's like, no, like, it's, it's okay. Like, I will bless him too. I, I have not forgotten Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael means God hears. God has, knows Ishmael. He has heard Ishmael. And I will bless him too. All this happens in the context of God reaffirming the covenant through circumcision. Now, here's a really fascinating part. Likely, Abraham would have circumcised Ishmael first, making him the first male to bear this mark of God's covenant. It would be fairly logical that Abraham would circumcise Ishmael first. It's interesting to think that, whoa, Ishmael was the first person in history to be circumcised. And it's interesting because the Arabs still today practice this. And... They would trace it back to this, apparently, as far as we can tell. Up to this point, Ishmael is the only heir of Abraham. In chapter, seven, in chapter 17, where we just were, God reaffirms the covenant. Ishmael would have been 13 at this point. This is, the theme, this is a theme in Scripture, especially um, how the covenant is going through Isaac and say Ishmael, even though Ishmael is the elder, that actually happens a fair amount in Scripture, where you have like Esau and Jacob. Who's the one who the covenant actually goes through? Jacob, not Esau, even though Esau is older. David, same thing. David becomes king, not the eldest of the family. This happens in, throughout Scripture, but it, at the time, it's probably pretty confusing for Abraham. He's like, I don't... I, I, okay, I'll just trust you, God. Because it's interesting, Abraham still trusts God throughout this whole process. Even though it would be, yes, quite confusing. So then there's a little bunny trail in the text in chapters 18, 19, and 20 um, talking about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're not going to really go into those. It's just, but again, in, in chapter 18, you have some more reaffirming that the covenant is, is happening, that, you know, Abraham's going to have another son. God tells him multiple times, hey, you are going to have another son through Sarah. Just in case you missed that, there's another son coming. You are, I know you got one already, but there's one more coming. It's, it's almost like he, God says it a couple of times in pretty clear language. Um, and, of course, Sarah classically laughs and says, yeah, right, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And God says, oh, yes, it will. And then it does, chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1, The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, which was born to him, who Sarah uh, called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, important note, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. That's a that's really old. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Okay, then down to verse 8. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Which... Or possibly like laughing in mockery. So Ishmael's probably been seeing this whole thing develop and he's probably scorning it. Like he's 17 years old. His world's kind of being turned upside down right now. And he's kind of mocking the whole situation. And this really annoys Sarah. Verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Just classic what you have when you have two wives. And we see this all throughout scripture. You have one just really bickering with the other or their sons won't get along. Or you'll, I mean, you know, Joseph sold into slavery by his other brothers because, you know, he came from, you know, had a different mom. Like it's just, this just goes on and on and on through scripture. And this is one of the first cases where it's really clear how painful this can be. But then Abraham's response in verse 11 to Sarah's suggestion is really interesting. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But now note, there's, this is where it's different. God actually steps in and tells Abraham what to do. Probably at this point, Abraham doesn't really know what to do. I mean, honestly, what would you do if your wife said to like, kind of just boot out one of your sons? Like, you would probably not be too inclined to do that. I mean, Abraham had 17 years raising this, raising Ishmael. He probably, I'm sure he cared for him greatly. And... What do you do? But then God says to Abraham, verse 12, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to do, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now note, though, verse 13, God doesn't leave Ishmael out. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So right there, Abraham's like, oh, okay, this is going to work out. I mean, obviously, if Ishmael's going to become a nation, they're going to be okay. And I think Abraham kind of rested in that fact and said, okay, like this seems kind of, I, I, this is really hard to do, but I'm, you know, I'm willing to do that. So Abraham rose early in the morning, we're in verse 14 of chapter 21, and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with a child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness. Now, there's a lot of things in this passage that are really hard to wrap our minds around. Honestly, this has got to be incredibly painful. Is there anybody here at 17 years old or around that age? Caleb. So let's imagine, Caleb, like you've, you've been in normal life. I mean, you're going to inherit your dad's, I mean, everything. And he's really wealthy. Like you've, you've got life made. It is set. And all of a sudden, God just visits your dad and says, actually, there's going to be another son. And he's actually going to get everything and not you. That would be really hard. And then all of a sudden, dad comes to you one day, says, oh, by the way, you and mom are, you're, you're out. And the other son is going to take everything over. And I know it sounds painful, but that's what God told us to do. So that's what, I mean, Ishmael probably had some real bitterness at this point. I mean, he's 17 years old. He's not a little kid. Like, he can put this together that this is really hard. Like, yeah, this is what God said to do, but this is hard really painful for him and Hagar. Can you imagine as a mother going through that? 
And somehow they get lost in the desert, which is a really bad idea. Don't ever get lost in the desert. Just saying. And they only have one, they only have whatever provisions they can carry. You know, Ishmael should have had the entire camp, is what he thought growing up. I mean, he's like, Abraham was probably priming him for him to take over everything he owned, and all of a sudden, nope, he's out one day with just whatever he can carry. Uh, it's, that's quite an adjustment, you know, especially emotionally. It'd be really hard. And it's really interesting because Sarah demands that, that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away, even though local custom and local law would have said, no, you can't do that. You can't actually do that in Middle Eastern law. You're not supposed to, but she still suggested it. And then God would say, yes, this is... And that's probably why Abraham was so displeased. It's like, oh, this, you're really not supposed to do that. And then God says, no, it's okay. I'm still blessing Ishmael. I've, I haven't forgotten him. So at this point, like I said, Ishmael would have been 17, which is the traditional age for young men to go out and find their own way in the world at that time in the Middle East. So maybe Abraham was like, okay, this is just the best option for our family. Ishmael should go his way, have his, you know, have his family. Isaac would go his way. This is what's just going to have to happen. Kind of like Jacob and Esau. But imagine the pain. Imagine the pain. And then Hagar and Ishmael get lost in the desert. Very much like when Hagar was pushed out when she was still pregnant with Ishmael. It's like the same thing all over again. And once again, the story gets really interesting. So starting in verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. That sounds really painful. She's, at this point, they're basically giving themselves up to their fate. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy, not the voice of Hagar, the voice of Ishmael. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Second time. Not once. Okay, it's, like, it's, it's crazy enough to think the angel of the Lord showing up and, and saying, your child's going to be blessed. I am blessing you and, and saving you. That's what happened the first time Ishmael went into the desert. But the second time, the exact same thing happens and, and reaffirms everything and says, God has heard you. God has not forgotten you. Remember, Ishmael means God hears. God still, he hasn't forgotten Hagar and Ishmael at this point. And says, no, like, he will still become a great nation. And verse 20, apparently they, they made it out of the desert because verse 20 says, and God was with the boy. God was like, literally like was with Ishmael, which is a really powerful statement. And he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And that wilderness, that desert referred to there, is Arabia, like Saudi Arabia, Oman, Yemen, like that area of the world. And that's where the tribes of Ishmael lived. And then just like that, Ishmael disappears from the story. And we, we don't really hear a whole lot else about him. And it's kind of like a cliffhanger. It's like... Ah, but 
what, what happened? Like, you, you have a child who was literally, like, visited by the angel of the Lord. I mean, multiple times, twice, and blessed multiple times by God himself. What happened? What happened to Ishmael after this? Oh, it's, it, it's like, oh, man. You know, like, where, where did this story end? And it's interesting because God tested Abraham many times in this story. And this was one of those times. Sending away Ishmael would have been very hard. It would have been a, a, a difficult test. Because Abraham, I'm sure, did not want to do that. But this was also a test for Hagar and Ishmael as well. How did they respond to that? Did they become bitter? Or did they say, you know what? This is really painful, but this is what God has said to do. How did, how did they respond? And we don't really know. Did, did Ishmael continue to walk with God? Did he remember the incredible miracles and supernatural events surrounding his life? You know, perhaps so. Maybe Hagar and Ishmael did stay true to God. We don't know. We're never told what happened. But I'm, I'm sure they never forgot what happened to them in the desert. That's an event that we, we can only dream about that ever happening to us. So I'm going to stretch you a little bit and say, well, maybe Hagar and Ishmael are in heaven. Is that heresy? Well, I mean, they literally saw God and God blessed them and said, I am with you. If they stayed true, if Ishmael stayed true and did not become bitter, which would have been really hard, maybe he did continue to walk with God. We don't know. Like, the story doesn't tell. And it's just like, oh, you know, because the text is going to now branch off and follow the, the line of Isaac. And this is basically the last we ever hear of Ishmael. We do hear about the Ishmaelites a few times later in Scripture, like the Ishmaelites are the people who captured Joseph and sold him into slavery, so they were bad guys, at least, at that point. But that's down the road in history. Until there, there's one last time, the last time that Ishmael is directly mentioned in Scripture is at the death of Abraham, Genesis chapter 25. Sorry, no, I think I have the wrong... Let me see here. Okay, Genesis chapter 25, verse 7. These are the days of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. And Abraham was buried with his wife. After all these years, this is a long time later, decades later, the death of Abraham brought those two sons back together. And this is the only time we actually have record of Isaac and Ishmael ever having interaction. And you have to wonder what that was like. Like Those two sons, after the huge divide and wedge that happened in their family and all the pain that's there, and then they're brought back together over the death of Abraham. Now it's interesting because Ishmael was promised 12 tribes as well, just like the 12 tribes of Jacob. It's interesting because we all know the 12 tribes of Israel, but very few of us actually know the 12 sons of Ishmael. They're listed twice in scripture, in Genesis chapter or in Genesis 25 and in 1 Chronicles. So where do we go from here? Cuz this is uh, it's hard to find good resolution to this. And I'm just going to make a few points, and we'll close it at that. The house of Ishmael 
is not cursed, nor is it second rate in God's eyes. Rather, Ishmael was blessed by God. It's interesting because twice Ishmael's sons are mentioned positively in the prophecies of Isaiah. This is some of the things he says. He invites the settlements that Qadar inhabits to join in singing a new song to the Lord. And then the same son is mentioned, the flocks will be gathered and the rams of, ooh, these names are hard to pronounce, Nebaioth will be gathered to God's house for a joyous festival. Whoa. Imagine celebrating heaven with some of the sons of Ishmael. I mean, that's what scripture says. And the Ishmaelites, we know, trace down to the Arabs today. So what conclude, like, where, does this, where does this go? Well, maybe that means we'll end up being in heaven with a lot of our Arab brothers and sisters in Christ. Because like, Ishmael's house was blessed. So maybe when we get to heaven, we'll be with Palestinians and Iraqis and Saudis and Yemenis and Omanis. And, and the list goes on and on of all the Arab tribes in the world. You know, and let's perhaps go one step further. Maybe some of those we see in the news as, as horrible terrorists or have done really terrible things will come to know Christ. You know, maybe former ISIS soldiers or Al-Qaeda operatives, people that have come to know Jesus and, and left that path behind. Maybe there will be some Houthi rebels there, some, some Taliban militants or some Hezbollah or the Hashd al-Shabi or the PLO. You know, some of these groups, God's not done with those people. God makes it pretty clear. He blessed those people and he's not going to just let that go. There are approximately 58 million Arabs in the world, a greatly increased number, as God said, when he blessed Ishmael. The Ishmaelites are not a throwaway population in God's eyes. It all started under God's watchful eye, (coughs) receiving dramatic promises directly from God. There's a couple of points that we can pull from this story. Now, hopefully we can take this home as something to remember. Abraham did not ask God before taking Hagar as his wife, and the results caused untold pain to both Abraham's family and their descendants. And that's really important to remember. What would have happened if Abraham would have asked God first? God, what do you think? Is this a good idea? How many times in our lives do we do that? The lesson from Hagar in chapter 16 is that you are heard. You are seen. And and Hagar says, now I have seen the one who sees me. Even when life doesn't make sense, even when we have chosen our own way or are in a difficulty that's not even our own fault, God sees you. He hears you. You are not alone. God does not abandon people. God didn't abandon Hagar and Ishmael because they weren't, quote, part of the plan. God doesn't do that. He does not give up on people, even when things feel like a lost cause. Everyone has a part in God's plan. None of this surprises him. We must work past our divisions and conflicts and not let our biases get in the way of what God is trying to do. This brings us back to the present. The whole Israel versus Palestine, Ishmael versus Isaac. It goes all the way back to the same issues of Abraham's time. The heart of it is not about land or different beliefs. It is about rejection. Ishmael was rejected. And that really hurt. As Christ followers, we must feel their pain. The house of Ishmael is no less valuable to Jesus than anybody else. God simply does not do racism. We're all valued to Christ. 
Jesus is the answer to all sides of the conflict, and as his followers, we are called to be peacemakers. He is the only cure. He is the only answer. I'm going to close with one last story that I think really, really captures this. I have a good friend who works in Iraq, and they were in Mosul back when it was still under ISIS control, and there was parts that had been freed and parts that weren't, and it's a very active war zone. They're you know, dodging bullets, that kind of thing, giving aid to people that were in the line of fire, and they had the opportunity to save lives. Some very powerful things they were doing. Well, they were driving through the streets of Mosul in one of the safer sections, and they saw this guy off to the side that was under guard, and he asked his translator, who is that? And the translator said, oh, that's it's Dosh. It's, it's ISIS. He's been captured. And he said, wait, pull over. I want to talk to him. And so they walk up to the commanding officer and say, hey, can, can I talk to this guy? He said, yeah, sure. So here's Daryl, this conservative Mennonite from Lancaster County. And he goes, walks up to this ISIS soldier, puts his arm around him. And through the translator, this is a young guy. This is like maybe 20, 19, young guy. And he said, I don't know who you are or what you've done. But I know that I love you and Jesus loves you. And he's just like that. That man burst into tears and just wept. And then the soldier split him apart and says, no, like you have, to, you have to get away. And they hauled the ISIS man off and we don't know what happened to him. But it just goes to show, you know, what reconciliation is possible. Like that ISIS soldier could actually become your brother in Christ. It is possible. And sometimes all it takes is someone taking the time to actually care and for them to realize God still sees you. God still hears you. You are still loved.